Good evening. Are you all good? You pumped about the snow? No, okay. Um, it, I've lived in Greece for five years. It has snowed in our city twice. Uh, it's kind of like when it snows in like South Carolina and nobody knows what to do. Uh, that's what you hear about on the news. So that's what happens to us. But I was pumped. I rented a, uh, a four-wheel drive vehicle. It was a Jeep. And so I was like, I felt like just the man driving through snow uh, on some backcountry roads. So uh, it's good to be with you. I live in Thessaloniki. If you, uh, if you think to yourself, that sounds like familiar for some reason. It, it is. Um, it is the biblical city of Thessalonica. We call it Thessaloniki today, um, but it is where Paul came and walked and preached and established a church. Uh, the church that my wife and I are currently pastoring uh, is a football field away from the place that he came and talked in the Roman uh, marketplace, so it's an, a significant city. Uh, but we live in Greece. Uh, our whole family is there right now. I'm in America for 10 days uh, connecting with churches, but um, that's my wife, Courtney, our daughter, Maven, who is four, and our son, Britton, who is two. Um, I don't live on a Greek island. This is what my home looks like. Um, although I've been dreaming about Greek islands lately because of this cold. What is up with this? So um, that's Thessaloniki. That's the center of Thessaloniki, a city of 1.2 million people. Um, all of those buildings are apartment buildings. So they're eight-floor apartment buildings that are just jammed, packed on top of each other, and it goes on forever. Um, and so it's, I grew up on a farm. And so this is a whole different world uh, than what I grew up with, but it's a special, special place. It is home, and uh, if God has us there the rest of our life, we are A-okay with that. Um, so it's been a cool thing to watch God give us a passion for uh, the Greek community and, uh, and give us a heart for a bunch of people. Like, people ask me all the time, why Greece? And I'm like, I got no idea why. Uh, I'm not Greek. My wife's not Greek. Uh, there's just no connection except God transformed our hearts uh, to do something, uh, to be willing to get uncomfortable, and this is where he led us to. Um, I want to I share a little bit out of Corinthians, uh, which is a Greek city that Paul visited. Uh, so I want to take a look at 2 Corinthians, and if you're new here tonight, um, <clears throat> we believe that this book matters. Um, we believe that the Bible is important. It is absolutely vital for our life. And, uh, and so we don't come together uh, on a night like tonight just to hear an uh, interesting talk. We, we come together because the application of this thing right here is the most vital thing that we can do to our existence. And so we're going to open this up because the words that were written uh, hundreds, 2,000 years ago, um, they matter to your life today. And so we're coming together from all, all different walks of life, all different days that we've had, the weeks that we've had, the family situations that we're in. We're coming together, and what I believe about God is that he has a word for you, where you are right now, in the situation that you're in. He knew that you would be here tonight, and so he wants to communicate something to you, but he also wants to communicate to us as a community, and so he's going to do that as well, as a, as a gathering of people. So I want to take a look at two things, and, uh, and before I do, I forget everything. So prayer cards, if you want to get one of these, slap them on your fridge. Uh, you can meet me outside uh, in the lobby. We also have a newsletter, and thanks. Thanks for supporting us for like seven or eight years now, which has been incredible. So thank you. You guys were like one of the first ones that jumped on supporting us and you've been faithful and consistent and it allows us to do what we do. And I always forget to say thank you. So got that one checked off. Um, so let's look at 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20. And uh, I always get nervous when I have to open up my Bible. 
because you always like forget where things are, but I think I got it all marked. So here we go. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 to 20 says this. Um, all of this is a gift from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. He has given us the task of reconciliation. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I want to take a look at one more. This is Acts 4.13. And this is, a, this is a culminating moment in a much bigger story, so I'm not going to read it all. We're going to talk about it. Um, but it, it's, it's centered around Peter and John, two disciples of Jesus who have been arrested because they were preaching and people were just coming to Christ in, a, in an enormous amount of ways. Um, so this is Acts 4.13, and it says this. When they saw the guys who arrested Peter and John, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Can we pray? God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you love us. We thank you that you see us exactly where we are. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that we can, we can know you and that you have plans for our life and that you're leading us to things. You're leading us to your heart. You're leading us into this world. And so, God, I pray right now that you would settle our minds. I pray, God, that you would settle our souls and that you would just give us the openness and the peace to just hear what your Spirit has for us. So we ask that you would speak. We ask, God, that you would move in our life in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, have you ever fallen in love? Hmm. Um, I have no idea when I fell in love with my wife, Courtney. Um, I, that's a terrible thing to say. Uh, I don't know the date, I'll say that. Um, but before Courtney and I ever moved to Greece, before we ever got married, before we ever had kids, before um, we ever went on a single date, we had a conversation uh, I've known Courtney. I've been in the same church since I was nine years old. Me and my wife grew up together. Uh, she eventually came on staff at our church as the youth pastor, one of the youth pastors. And so in the nature of youth ministry, we always do fundraisers for trips and experiences. And so the youth group was doing this fundraiser. Um, they were running a burger stand at Maple Grove Raceway, which is this drag strip that NHRA comes to. And so it was like a really big deal. And, uh, and I got asked by Courtney and the team, to lead a, a hamburger stand. So it was the culmination of like my entire existence to be the head honcho of burger patties. Um, and I was pretty pumped. Um, and so I, I get called to go to this meeting. I think it was like a Thursday night. And uh, we show up to this event where they're going to teach us everything you ever needed to know about deep fryers and cheese slices and lettuce. And so we turn up and, and we're going through all the motions. And I don't know, something about the racing fuel, something about the french fry smell got me looking at this girl Courtney like I've never looked at her before and so I did what every other 19 year old did in 2006 um, I went on this revolutionary thing called MySpace and if you're young and you have no idea what MySpace is uh, before TikTok before Snapchat before Instagram before Facebook there was MySpace. That was my cool thing as my generation. And so I go on MySpace and I fire off one sentence. 
uh, a question. There was no introduction. There was no flowery, flowery words. I, that's not even flowery, flowery. Got it. Um, there, was, there was nothing special. I just said, hey, would you ever date a younger guy? And uh, almost immediately she replies, um, as if she was considering the option herself, she said, would I ever date a younger guy? Possibly. Uh, would I ever date you? Never. <laughs> and so she proceeded to uh, give me seven reasons why, seven detailed bullet points as to why I was not the man of her future. And so I, with a little fight, a little tenacity, I went line by line, point by point, and let her know that all those ideas were ridiculous. May I remind you that I've been married for 10 years and a couple months. Something about my words worked. But the truth is, is that there's probably a lot of us in the room, if not all of us, who are walking around with a list of reasons why we're not the right choice. A list of reasons why we're not qualified. A list of reasons why God could never use somebody like me. And those ideas, those things that you play over again and again and again, have been formulating your entire life. It was shaped by the words your parents spoke over you. It was shaped by teachers. It was shaped by your peers. I mean, you could have come home from a a long day at work today, and your boss probably maybe spoke some words over you that, that reminded you of all the reasons why you're not. All the reasons why you're not. And so then we come together in a community like this, and we, we maybe have, you, you look at a guy like me, a missionary, and you're like, man, I would, man, living for God like that, that's pretty crazy. I would love to do something like that. Maybe it's not even that. Maybe you're just thinking to yourself, man, could I ever be a kids' ministry leader? Could God ever use me to help lead a connect group or a small group? How, can, how could God use somebody like me to reach my neighbor? And on your mind day after day, moment by moment, are all the reasons why you're not qualified. Can I give you some examples? Because you're probably thinking to yourself, now come on, I don't ever do that. I would do something for God, but my past, my past is way too dirty, full of way too many mistakes. I got a lot of problems that are chasing me down my past. I would do something for God but my past. Maybe it's your plans for the future. Maybe you have dreams. Looking at a section of young people and everybody's asking you, what are you going to do with your life? Maybe you have some plans. I want to own that business. I want to make a million dollars by the time I'm 30. I want to climb the corporate ladder. I want to become a manager. Maybe it's your plans for the future. I would do something, but you know, I just got, I got some goals. Maybe it's your present circumstances. Um, I grew up on a farm. Never in my wildest imagination thought that I would be living in a city, pastoring a church. Maybe it's just the present circumstances. I, I mean, nobody moves out of Buffalo. Nobody in my family leaves, leaves our neighborhood. Maybe it's your present circumstances. Maybe it's your preconceived ideas for what ministry looks like. I went to Bible college for three semesters, uh, and I, I quit Bible college because I was like, there's no place for me super creative, love the arts, love music, love, love seeing things come about in new ways. And I left school because of that. I went back and finished it. But there was still a season of my life where my idea for what being in ministry looked like, my idea for serving God, my idea for how God could use me was only shaped in specific ways labeled inside the church. 
Maybe it's your pedigree. I'm not educated. I don't have that certification. I'm not qualified. God couldn't use me. Maybe it's your personality. I'm way too type A. I'm way too type B. I'm, I'm introverted. I'm extremely extroverted. Maybe you took an Enneagram test or a similar kind of test and, and the results of the test told you to avoid people. Maybe. Maybe it's your personality. Maybe it's the possibility. What if? What if I feel like I hear God's voice I take a step of faith and I'm wrong. I take a step of faith and it all falls apart. Maybe I do something bold. Maybe I reach out to a friend or a neighbor and, and, and step into a faith conversation. What if I do that and I fail? Labels are a powerful thing that can limit the things that God wants to do in and through us. It is impossible for us to hold on to labels not defined, not given to us by our Father in heaven and hold on to an image of Christ at the same time. Ephesians says it this way. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians 5 says this. Since we believe that Christ died for all, we also believe that we have all died to our old life. There is an old life. There is some things from the past. There are some ways that we used to identify ourselves. In verse 17, Paul says this, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. It is impossible for us to hold on to a label of the old life and hold on to the new thing that God is calling us to at the same time. And the truth is, is that the moment that we step into faith, the moment that we put our trust in Jesus, it is in that moment that the new life begins. Way too many of us keep some things from the past like a pet. A little thing to remind us of the good old days. A little thing to remind us of how we've just not succeeded and overcome and stepped out of the things of the old life. But God is calling us to leave go of the old life and step into the new. And the the action and the moment and the thing that is releasing us into the new is happening when we put our faith in God. It's us that goes back. It's us that looks behind us. It's us that continues to identify ourselves, not by the things that he calls us and calls us to, but to the old life. In Ephesians 2, 8 to 10, it says this, for it is by grace we've been saved. That's good right there. Through faith, it is not of yourself. It is the gift of of God, not by anything we could ever do, so that none of us can boast. For we are God's handiwork. We are God's masterpiece created in Christ Jesus to do. To do good works that He has prepared for us in advance. There is a task, there is a mission. And if you're here today and you are still sucking oxygen on this earth, there is a reason that your Father has you where you are. There is a reason that you are still here. There is a reason that you're waking up tomorrow and walking into work or walking into classes or walking into your neighborhood around a coffee table. There is a reason, and it is centered around the task. It is centered around the mission and the thing that God has called us to do. The plan 
for how God is going to get people the hope of Jesus, the message of Jesus, the life that we have found in Christ is you and I. It is you and I. In 2 Corinthians 5, we read it earlier, God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal to the world through you. The plan is you and me. And it's got to be the worst idea ever. The worst idea ever. It's 2020. God could start a TikTok account. He could start an Instagram. He could send a mass email. He could send out some text messages. He could start a YouTube channel. But God chooses you and me. And the reason he does that, Paul expresses in 2 Corinthians 4, the reason he does it, Paul uses this imagery of us being jars of clay, us being these vessels that are, that are holding things together, but like they're not steel. And so when you drop it, it breaks. When, when things fall apart, we have some problems. Paul describes it this way, that, that, you, that he puts his most important message inside of you and I, these jars of clay, because what? It reveals the truth of the gospel. It showcases just how true it is. It lets the world know around us that if God can put his most important thing within us, us, broken, always getting things wrong, us, it shows how true it is. When considering all the options, he chooses you. Emotional, you and me. I'm super emotional. Uh, Moody, you and me. Inconsistent, Sometimes angry, sometimes bitter, sometimes impatient, sometimes getting road rage, you and me. And he does it not because we're perfect. He does it not because we're always getting things right. He does it because it shows how good the gospel is, that God would invite us into his story, that God would give us the opportunity to, part of, to be a part of what he's doing in the world. And even though we fall and we get back up, even though we don't get things right, but we get back up, even though we, we have our problems and we have our mistakes and we go back time and time again to receive the grace of Christ, even though that is a lot of our stories and a big part of who we are, it reveals the gospel to the world. And what the world is so desperately searching for, what the world and your friends and your neighbors and your co-workers is so desperately desiring to experience is the unconditional love of Christ. And the church should be the most grace-filled place. The church should be the one place that anybody can walk in through these doors and try to figure things out and get back up again and, <coughs> and take another stab at it. And if you're here today and you're overwhelmed and you're stressed out and you're freaking out about all the things that you're not doing right, I want to tell you today that there is grace for you, there is love for you, there's a new day tomorrow for you to open up the word and to step into prayer and to trust God and to move forward in the things that you're calling us to. He's not calling us to to, to live in the old life. He's not calling us to continue to just accept the things that he's calling us to get out of. He's saying your life is important. I've I've, I've risked everything to bring you the message of Jesus, so step into it. And the message that is for you is the message that is the same for the world, that the world is so desperately searching for, but he has placed it in us. He has given us the task. And if there was ever a guy, if there was ever a guy who, who maybe like was, was faith-filled and confident and strong and then messed up, it was Peter. If you're here today and you're like, like, that's why I like Peter because Peter's just everybody. 
if you're not Peter, like, well, I'm Peter, so like, but if you're not Peter, if you've never had a moment that you've just like not gotten it right, I'd love to meet you. Meet me out back, we can... But it's Peter. And Peter's a really interesting guy because we find Peter in Acts 4 and he's arrested because of all the incredible things he was doing for God. He was. Like, 5,000 people got saved because he was walking in a city. In Acts 2, he receives the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. He, he receives the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he's walking to church. He's walking to the temple. And he's on this busy road. And there's a guy there who's always been there begging. And he reaches out and he heals him. The guy freaks out. The guy is just dancing and so excited that he's no longer a cripple. All these people gather around him. Peter's like, hey, I'm just going to use this opportunity to communicate the truth of the gospel. And 5,000 people get saved. That happened a second time. And then the religious leaders get really frustrated, and they're really confused, and they're like, uh, this is not okay. And so we find Peter in this incredible moment, and the, the guys who arrested him, and I read that, something, you're simple, you're ordinary, you're unschooled, you're not like the star of the show, but there was something different. And that thing that was different was that they, that he had been with Jesus. Now, Peter and the disciples had been with Jesus for a number of years, and they've had some pretty incredible experiences. And if you've ever thought to yourself, man, I would just love, like, I think I would just get this whole Jesus thing right if Jesus would just, like, hold my hand and walk with me, and it would just be so much better than, like, Jesus that I can't see. Um, well, guess what? Peter had that, and Peter still didn't do very great. And we find Peter in, in John, I wrote down John 13. Jesus is with the disciples, and it's one of the last moments that they will all have together. And so Jesus lets the boys know that there's coming a moment, especially in Peter's life, that things are not going to work out the best. He says, Peter, I want you to know that you're going to deny me. And if you've ever been that guy where you've been like, no, Jesus, I'm never doing that. That was Peter. Peter was like, not going to happen. I am faithful. I'm going to not do that anymore. I'm going to be strong. I'm going to be confident. Jesus, you can count on me. And Jesus is like, sorry, not going to be your future. And so the moments pass, and, and Jesus is arrested, and, and there's just a shakeup. Something about this moment is bringing a lot of stress and a lot of anxiety on the guys. And you get this sense as you read the story that Peter is, he's hiding in the shadows. And he's watching Jesus out there. And he's starting to get nervous. And he's starting to get uncertain about what does all of this mean. He's arrested. He's getting taken away. Uh, one of our guys, he, 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 uh, he gave up Jesus to the religious leaders. Like, there's just a lot of chaos. And out of the darkness comes somebody. And they, hey, aren't you like one of his guys? And, and maybe Peter is just concerned for his own life. Maybe it's the fear. Maybe it's the anxiety and the pressure of the moment. And so he says, no, 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 not me. You got it wrong. And it happens again. And it happens again. And that third time when it comes, um, they're actually in a courtyard. It tells us in Luke that, that Peter is there in the shadows watching Jesus from a distance. The third person comes up. Aren't you a follower? Isn't that your guy? No, not me. And in that moment, Jesus turns. In that moment, Jesus looks at Peter. In that moment, everything hits him. All the guilt all the shame, all the emotions of I, I denied him. I did what I said I would never do. And it hits him. I've, um, I've had some moments like that in my life. Um, 
as missionaries, we, uh, we're typically pretty positive. And if you'd send me a, a message on Facebook and you said, Peter, how's it going? It's awesome. It's always awesome. Um, but it's not been awesome. Um, we've been on the field for, for uh, five years, almost five years, and, uh, and I've had a lot of doubts. I've had a lot of, I got to be the worst man for the job moments. Um, when my daughter um, was about six months old, she was having dozens of seizures a day. Um, we, were, we were only on the field uh, just over a year, and she was having dozens of seizures a day, and we were going from, from exam to exam, and, and specialists, and all these people had no idea what was wrong with her. In that moment, I questioned everything. Did I, did I hear God? Should we get out of here? Are we, are we, are we going to hurt our daughter because we are choosing to do this whole God thing? Um, when we, uh, we, we moved to Greece in June of 15, two months later, the refugee crisis started. The, the greatest movement of refugees since World War II happened an hour from where I live. And so we found ourselves in, in refugee camps meeting with the most incredible Syrian and Iraqi and Afghani people, people who were missing limbs, people who, who were traveling alone because their entire families were dead and gone. Um, and, and, and all of it began to build. We were in camps three, four, five days a week sometimes, and, and all of it began to build, and all of the emotion, and I found myself in my bed after a year and a half of this ministry uh, having a panic attack, could not turn off my brain, absolutely freaking out. I hopped on an airplane the next day to Barcelona to do a debrief, and, and in those moments, in the shakeup, in all of the pressure, in all of the, the things that I was absolutely unqualified for, in, in the center of all of that, I absolutely wondered, man, why am I here? What am I doing here? This is ridiculous. I'm the, I'm the worst person for this job. There had to have been somebody else that could do this. Um, we, we eventually took on the church, uh, leading the church, and, and we, um, we renovated this, this space. And so our church uh, is in the center of the city, and it's on the ground floor level. You can show the one picture if you want. Um, it's a beautiful place where, where people can look in off the street and find, find Jesus. See, this is from the sidewalk. You can see church happening. It's a really cool experience. Um, but to renovate this place, we worked for two months tirelessly, uh, 12 hours a day, seven days a week. It was a crazy, crazy time. Um, we had our first Sunday in April. It was beautiful. God showed up. So much faith, so much excitement for our first Sunday. Day. The next day, I had a fever, and for an entire week, I had a fever, and for five days, I was in the hospital, and I was being tested for lymphoma, and they had no idea what was wrong with me. And in that moment, what am I doing here? In that moment, did I hear from God? And if you've ever been in that place where you've just been so sure and so confident and so faith-filled for the, for the daily decisions that you were making, and yet you find yourself struggling, yet you find yourself messing up, yet you find yourself not having it all together, there's still a future for us. And I say us because I'm there. I've been there. I know what it's like. There's still a future for us. And if there was a guy who should have looked at his situation and said, I'm done, it's Peter. I mean, Peter is told by Jesus, you're going to deny me. Peter goes out and denies him. And all of that guilt and all of that shame hits him. If there was a guy who should just said, and Peter, we never heard of any, you know, any other times. Man, that was his story. But the Peter that we find in Acts 4, I think was shaped by a moment. This bold Peter that we have in Acts 4, 
was shaped by a moment. This Peter that is just proclaiming without um, any, any doubts in his mind, stepping into faith, calling out to people saying, get up, you're going to be healed right now. That Peter was shaped by an earlier moment. We have in... I don't know where. Somewhere. John 21. In John 21, there's a story where Jesus is, is crucified and he's, he, he is raised from, from the dead. And, and there, is a, there is this image that the believers see Jesus. Um, but you also have this image where Peter is a bit confused. And so he decides to go back fishing. He decides to go back to the old life. He decides to go back to the things that he knows. And so we find Peter out with the boys in the water. And uh, if you've ever been fishing, you know that guy who comes along and asks you if you catch anything? Like, they're the most annoying people uh, because they want all the secrets and they don't have to do the work. And so there's this guy on shore and he's yelling out to the fellas, hey, did you catch anything? Maybe Peter blows him off. But a moment occurs where something in John recognized that voice. Something in John recognized the moment. Something in John said, that's just not anybody out there. That's Jesus. And he leans over to Peter and he's like, Peter, you know who that is, right? And something rose up in who he was. Something allowed him to just throw off all the shame, not care about anybody's opinion. And he ran, he's not ran, he swam back to Jesus. And it was in that moment that Peter's life was changed. It was in that moment that it went from a, a, a revelation of who Jesus was by the works and by the moments that they spent together. It became a revelation of grace that transformed Peter's life. When he was restored, when Jesus prepared breakfast and they sat around and, and they got to work it out and that, that relationship and that moment and that, fu- that future was forever changed. It was changed because he had a moment with Jesus. Those of us who have received the grace, those of us who, just, who know just how good this grace is, grace is <coughs> we make the best people who go out to proclaim the gospel. Those of us who have received the grace of Christ make the best reconcilers. And so while <coughs> coronavirus, I'm just kidding, terrible joke. <coughs> That's a terrible joke. God help those who have that. Um, those of us who have that revelation, we make the best reconcilers. Those of us who walk in and know and have that intimacy with Jesus, we make the best reconcilers. And while you and I live in and get to know this grace, there is a world that surrounds us that is desperately searching, desperately wanting to know, is there something more to life than what I'm walking through every day? And there is. And He's placed you in people's lives to bring that message. I live in Thessaloniki, city of 1.2 million. I don't know how many seats are in here. Um, this for sure would be the biggest church in Thessaloniki. Um, your church, what, who you are right now, 50 people, would be the biggest assembly, the biggest Pentecostal church in the entire country, for sure. Um, we have about 1,500 people who are evangelical, which is a term that we use to describe people who are not, uh, who are not Orthodox Christian, who are not Catholic they're of, of kind of a collection of everything else except Jehovah's Witnesses. Um, and so we have a desperate need for churches in our country. Um, we have a desperate need for people to get saved. We live in this unique place where uh, all the Greeks get to point back to Paul. 
Like, isn't that an interesting situation? And so they are the original church. They are the ones who got the message first. Um, we are 98% Christian, um, 3% attend church, and we live in this fascinating world where everybody uh, essentially has been inoculated to the gospel. Um, they know enough. Does it affect their life? No. Uh, one of the young guys on our team, um, his name's Sammy, his real name's Yannis, and, and he, uh, incredible worship leader, 20-something years old, such a friend. Um, he came to me in October, and he said to me, Peter, um, I don't know what to do. I said, bro, what's going on? And he said, well, um, the guys are getting together. One of our friends is getting married. I was like, that's cool. And he said, well, here's the thing. Um, I know for sure there's going to be a dozen of us. He said, I know for sure they're going to want to take him to a club. We're going to go listen to music. We're going to have some drinks. He's like, I can deal with that. He's like, I'm pretty sure they're going to want to take him to a strip club. Then he said, I am really, really worried that they're going to want to take him to a brothel. And what's really fascinating about our culture is that if I would go up to those 12 guys, 11 out of 12 would say they're a Christian. If I said, hey, are you a Christian? Yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Do you believe in God? Yeah, absolutely. You believe in Jesus? Oh, yeah, for sure. You go to church on Easter? Oh, definitely. My mom takes me. But yet, somehow, they live in this place. So many people live in this place where God is a building. Church is a building. It's a symbol. It's something there that exists, but it's not something in here. There's the head knowledge, but there's not this heart inspiration where people get to know our Jesus. And so we, we exist in the middle of that. We exist to, to connect people to Jesus. Not to religion, not to yet another church. We are there to connect people to their Savior that came to give them life. The worship team can come. I forgot that. Um, and so we do that in a lot of creative ways. The, the space that you saw is on the ground floor. And while church is really weird, it's, act, it's actually illegal for us to be missionaries. Uh, we don't use that term at all in, in our life in Greece. Uh, we're, we run this church, and that's okay. But um, everything that we do is, is to get people connected to Jesus. And you say, how do you do that? Well, we play ping pong. And we, uh, we play PlayStation, and we, uh, we do English Club, and we do open mic nights. Um, one of my favorite things that we do, there's a Connect Dinner picture. You can put that one up. Uh, every other Wednesday night, we have a dinner for free that people can come to, and we set up this really big, long table, and we have a meal together. And what we're finding is that people actually want to talk. They actually want to talk about normal things. They want to talk about Barcelona and Real Madrid. They want to talk about life. They want to talk about their girlfriend. And as you get to do those kind of normal conversations, you get to introduce the God conversation. While we get to sit down and have meals together, and while we get to play, and, and we get to know one another, and we get to build people into a community, that opens up the door to the God conversation. And while we are continuously seeing people take steps in, in new ways into things like English Club, and to new things like Connect Dinner, we are believing and trusting that God is going to build those people into, into the church on a Sunday, into the believers' communities at, at Bible study and at Alpha Course. Um, our passion, our, our, the thing that like, keeps the, the clock that is ticking in our mind is that we know that God wants us to plant a church in five years. It was five years. It's not five years anymore. It's 1,535 days. We will have another church. And that's only going to come. The pastor that we're going to have, the team that we're going to 
have in that world is going to come because we're playing ping pong with them today. Is that not the most ridiculous thing? Is that not like bizarre how God's going to use an English club or he's going to use a photography class or he's going to use something around like the kids program and he's going to build people into life. He's going to connect them to the local church. He's going to introduce them to Jesus and then he's going to go change the world with them. Now while that's the story of our life in Greece, the, the things that we will see five years from now, we're planting in seeds now. The same is true for you all today. And you're sitting kind of comfortably. And I know it's a Thursday night and this is not totally representative of the church. But if you have a space next to you, I want to I lean a thought in on you. I want you to just, just, just to think about this every time you have a space next to you. That space is a life. And it's not a life that Pastor Josh is called to reach. It's not a life that an elder or a kid's pastor or a, a small group leader, it's not the missionary's job to go reach everybody. It's yours. And what I know about God is that he gives the most outrageous opportunities to people that don't deserve it. He gives the most ridiculous grace to a bunch of people who don't deserve it. He puts his most important message in a bunch of people who don't deserve it, who are unqualified, who aren't the best choice. And he actually says, no, you are the best choice. No, I've positioned you in that workplace for a reason. I know your story's complicated. I know you got some history to you. But what I know about your future is that it's much brighter than your past. I know that that there's there's some things in your past that haunt you. There are some things that drive you nuts about your identity. The things that you've struggled with for years and years and years. And he's saying to you, I know. But I know. I know what lies ahead. I know where you go to work. And man, something that we repeat absolutely every week in our church is that it is not a coincidence where you go to work. God put you there for a reason. It's not a coincidence that you go to that school and you have that class. It's not a coincidence that you're in that neighborhood. It's not a coincidence that you love playing, that you love doing some bowling with that crew. It's not a coincidence. It's him positioning you. And the people that you, sur- that you surround yourself with every week, every day, the people that are in your class, the family members that are in your life, that uncle that drives you nuts, he has placed you there for a reason. And he's given you everything that you need to go do it. He's given you the power. He's given you the, the knowledge. He's, he's imparted into you the grace of our Savior. And he's saying, go. The task, the mission, the responsibility of reconciling humanity back to God is in us. So I don't know what tomorrow looks like for you. I know in a couple days on Monday, I will get on an airplane and I will go back to my calling. I'll walk out my doors onto the plaza where at any point in time, there's a hundred people, there's a thousand people, and I'll go back to my calling. I'll go and I'll have coffee with the guys. I'll go back to my calling. We'll have Connect Dinner on Wednesday night. I'll go back to my calling. I'll be living life in my calling. Tomorrow, it begins. It begins. He loves you. He knows who you are. He knows the struggle. He knows how much you wish you didn't deal with the things that you're dealing with. And he's just saying, let's go. There's a world that wants this hope. And he's placed you there for a reason. 
He's placed you there for a reason. Can we pray? Before we do anything else, um, if you're here today and you've never had an encounter with the grace and love of Jesus, uh, it, is, it, is, it is just a moment away. It's a choice. Ephesians talks about it. It's just a decision. It is like a, it's a, it's a day that begins. This new life can begin. Um, we choose things all the time. We choose uh, who our, our girlfriend's going to be. We choose what pair of pants to put on. Um, we choose what food to eat. Um, and, and choosing to follow Jesus is a choice. Choosing to make him the Lord of your life, the, the, the ruler, the, the, the one who, makes all, who calls all the shots, makes all the decisions, that's a choice that you have to make. It's not your grandmother's decision. It's not your mom's choice for you. It's a choice you have to make. And if you're here today and you're saying to yourself, man, I, I've just been kind of doing my own thing. I've just been living life and I've never made that choice. But, but to think to myself that God loves me so much that Jesus is there for me, I, I, I want to know that love. I want to know what it feels like to, to be in relationship with my, with my creator. It's a choice. And it's a choice we all have to make for ourselves. And so if you're here today and you're saying to yourself, I want to make that decision, we're just going to say a simple statement, a simple prayer. And it's this. Jesus, I give you my life. If that's your prayer tonight, you can repeat it right now. Jesus, I give you my life. That's where it begins. It's not everything. You're going to figure a lot of things out on the journey. You're going to grow a lot. He's going to take you to places you never imagined. He's going to lead you. But it begins here. Jesus, I give you my life. If everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, just... Nobody's looking around. This is just a moment. I, I think that's important for us to, to not just have this conversation with God on the inside, but also on the outside, do something. And I would just love to be able to pray with you because I think this is like the greatest thing that you could ever do is invite Jesus to be the king of everything, the, 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 the Lord of everything in your life. So if you're here today and you've prayed that prayer, Jesus, I give you my life. Can you just put your hand in the air so I can pray for you? Awesome, 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 awesome. Can we pray? God, I thank you for those in the room today that are saying, Jesus, I give you my life. You can have my past. You can have my future. You can have every moment that you're going to give me to walk this earth. God, I thank you for those that are encountering your mercy, your love, your forgiveness, your grace. God, I thank you that you see them, that you're so passionate for them, that you risk everything to, that they would know you and be, and be a part of the things that you're doing in this world. God, I thank you for your love for them, your love for all of us. Can we do something else? Those in the room, if you're here today and you're just saying, man, I want to show up to work tomorrow with a new sense of passion, a new sense of responsibility, just this, just this confidence that where I'm going is, is because God has placed me there, I just want to pray for you. And, and because I know this to be true, um, the places that we go are the places that God is leading us to. They're people that we're called to reach. And so, can we just put a, chair, a, a, a hand on the chair on our right, on our left, in front of us, behind us? Can we pray for the life that this represents? Can we pray for the person that will someday sit next to us? How crazy is that? Someday you're going to see the answer to this prayer. 
You're going to be sitting there with that coworker. You're going to be sitting there with that family member that you were just thought was, man, I thought he was too far gone, but man, God saved him or her. Can we pray for them? God, I thank you for everybody in the room. I thank you for the influence that you give us. I thank you, God, for the confidence that you're building within us. God, I thank you that you love us, that you've graced us, that you've prepared us for the conversations that we are called to have. God, so as we go into work, as we go into university and into classes, God, as we have conversations with friends and family members, as we're at the bowling alley or we're hanging out with the guys watching a football game, God, I thank you that you have placed us there for a reason. And so we pray pray over these chairs. We pray over the seats that are on our right and on our left in front of and behind us, God, and we thank you that you've called us to that place to reach the lost, that place to invite people to know you, God. So would you build up people? Would you encourage us? Would you strengthen us, God? Would you empower us to walk in confidence as we go to the places that you're calling us to, God? We thank you for the lives that will be touched. We thank you for the responsibility that you've given us, the opportunity that you've given us, that you've placed your most important message within us. May we carry it well. May we carry it with boldness and confidence. May we declare who you are to the world, wherever you call us to go. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.